Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Great form by you hitting play on this podcast. Now, check out Same Racer, the brand new racing app for same race multi-tips. Same Racer. Download from the App Store and Google Play. Powered by Bluebet. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. Is coming in gold and a world record. Ian Thorpe, the birth of a legend. 458 is the total, out of which Bradman has made 309 not out. It's a world's record. First ball in Test cricket in England for Shane Warne. And he's done it. He started off with the most beautiful delivery. Australia is back on the biggest stage. Welcome to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Here's your host, Sam Edmund. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show. As always, we're here for our great friends at Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Well, today, we're joined by one of the most popular figures in the history of the game. Robert Dippier Domenico is a Brownlow medalist, a five-time premiership icon at Hawthorne and an AFL Hall of Famer. A larger-than-life character who has entertained us as a boundary writer, an actor on the big screen, a, a presenter on the small screen. It's a great pleasure to welcome the man, better known, of course, as Dipper. Dipper, hello and thanks for joining us. No, no worries at all, Sam. Thanks for having me on board. Well, where do we find you and how are you coping in these crazy times? Well, I'm down the uh, Mornington Peninsula Way, down at Rye. Um, and, um, well, Callum from Brighton's uh, walked Brighton. I've walked all of Rye and Sorrento and everywhere. So uh, I'm just keeping uh, I'm just keeping sane by doing my ISO walks every day and uh, just, uh, you know, trip, try and keep out of harm's way. For someone who's very energetic and someone who's travelled all his life and... and uh, uh, I find it at times a little bit stressful, but, you know, I've just got to do the right thing and I'm making sure that uh, we get out of this okay. Yeah, like everybody, you know, everyone's doing it tough at the moment. Yeah, amen amen to that, no doubt about it. Well, Dipper, I'm glad this um, sort of COVID-19 didn't hit when you were a kid because everything I've read and heard about you, and I think you admit yourself you had a touch of the ADDs about you as a young fella. <laughs> and I've still got it. Don't worry about that. I've always been very energetic <laughs> and... Uh, and the reason for is because, uh, well, some called me a pain in the butt side, but uh, it was uh, it was known as ADD back in the time. But look, um, I'm very thankful for um, for my life in a way because I've just enjoyed it as much as I can, and I've travelled around the world and through the game of footy. It's really up a lot of doors for me, and uh, you know, it's been part of my life since uh, the first kick I had when I was about 12 years of age. So. And, and still uh, involved with it. But, you know, uh, you can't keep a good man down. I'm just waiting to get out of this ISO and, uh, and, and making sure that uh, we get out there and do what we do, and that is enjoying life. We've got to enjoy life now that we all know how bad we can get uh, in this pandemic. Uh, but 
amazing what's happened uh, uh, to the world. But the one thing I know is that uh, you've got to get out there and, and smell the roses, as they say. Yeah, we certainly won't take anything for granted again, will we? Let's go back a bit, Dipper, to prior to the your doors opening, if you like. Now, your biography blurb describes you as the bumbling son of hardworking migrants. Tell us about your childhood. Well, my childhood was quite good, actually. I, um, my mum, um, well, my dad came over in 1954. His name is uh, Stefano, and he uh, came over in a boat and. Uh, made it to, uh, we stopped in Fremantle first <clears throat> and uh, he picked up a couple of jobs in Fremantle and then he, he found out there's a lot more work in Melbourne so he jumped on the boat again and come over to um, to Victoria and, and become a labourer and uh, he rented a house in Richmond with a few other guys and then two years later he married my mum over the phone uh, and mum come over in 56 and, uh, and then they bought a house in Hawthorne and hence, hence, I was in the area of Hawthorne. So I went from Richmond to Hawthorne. Could have been a Frio, you never know. But uh, uh, it all started from there. But I was very fortunate because mum and dad were hardworking people, um, up at five every morning, coming under six every night. And I virtually had the uh, the house to myself as a young fella. And uh, used to walk to school at Hawthorne West up the road. And then I went to Swinburne, then went to Kew High and in that oil area. And of course, the Hawthorne Football Club was smack in the middle. As you say, born in Hawthorne, what was life like in, you know, eastern suburbia, Melbourne in the 60s and 70s as a son of Italian migrants? I mean, that's an Anglo-Saxon community, obviously, very much so back in those days. Was it, was it tough? No, it wasn't that tough. But, but uh, in our street, uh, there, was, there was some Yugoslavians uh, to the left-hand side of us. There's some Greeks to the right-hand side of us. So a lot of migrants came in that time for labouring work and... Um, uh, and our street was uh, was quite uh, was, it was a mixed bag with Aussies, of course, in there as well as we used to call them the Aussies. <laughs> but, but as a young boy, you know, going to school, um, I found it a bit tough because in the way that that only because um, I used to have a very bad stutter, uh, and I really took me a lot of time to to say what I wanted to say, and being hyperactive mm. at the same time. It was quite confusing, but uh, one thing I could do was uh, run, jump, skip, and hop because of the uh, the energy that I had. And I tried everything uh, for, the, for the school: running, jumping, skipping, you know, swimming, you name it. I wanted to be involved with those uh, so-called Anglo-Saxons and become good friends with a lot of guys. But but also with my surname, Dieter Domenico, it was sort of like you know, I got picked on a little bit, but uh, you know, I sort of looked after myself. <laughs> we'll get to that a little bit later because that certainly was the theme that carried her out throughout your football career. Fascinating that your mum and dad married over the phone by a proxy, but what did they know of Aussie rules football, Dipper? And were they happy for you to pick uh-huh. up a ball and play? They knew nothing about it, of course, because so, dad, uh, obviously like most migrants, um, were soccer uh, soccer fans. And, and back in the day, Olympic Park, where Connie would now train, of course, uh, down that way, there uh, used to be the Velodrome and also um, Juventus uh, soccer team used to play out of Olympic Park. And I remember going to uh, the Velodrome with my dad as bike riding and bike racing was quite big in the in the in the European areas. And he used to try, he used to take me to the Velodrome and then and then uh, we used to go and watch uh, uh, Juventus play as well. So when uh, it all happened, to the fact that 
I got a chance to play with Juventus in the early days as a as a young fella, playing a bit of soccer as a goalkeeper because I could you know mark a ball or whatever. And footy wasn't yeah. really well. Footy was 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 just starting to sort of take over a little bit. I was about fourteen, fifteen at the time. And uh, how it goes then was that um, I was uh, playing at, at a side called uh, uh, North Q, uh, under-15s, and uh, I was also playing the seniors at the same time uh, in Q amateurs in the afternoon. So in the morning I play under-15s, which I was captain, at 15, at 15, 16, and then, uh, and then in the seniors at Q. So two teams, I was captain of North Q, under-15s on a Saturday morning, and a Sunday after, on the Sunday afternoon, I played uh, with uh, uh, Q, Q seniors in the amateur group. Um, and then on a Sunday, I used to play under 17 a bowling tent. <laughs> so you can just see the football will start to, to uh, take part of it. And mum and dad really didn't realise what footy was all about, of course. But they just, as I said, hardworking people. I, I had the old uh, 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 latchkey syndrome where I obviously had a key to the house. And, and, and the way I'd run out all day and then come up for dinner, basically. It was like that. Oh, those were the days. We, we know the yeah. player you became, obviously, at Hawthorne, but what, what sort of player were you as a, as a youngster, Dipper? Was it many of the same traits, or did a lot of it come later? What sort of player were you as a kid? Uh, as a kid, I was, uh, I was always... Uh, because I could run all day, and, and my size, I then. I I played at Hawthorne in the in my heyday at, at about 103 kilos, right, on the wing, and I could run all day, and uh, and that was certainly something that changed the game of football in a way because it went away from the Robbie Flower type of players to and the Dougie Hawkins, which I love playing against, of course, and great friends, uh, to um, you know bigger boy the Murdenagles and the Lanes and these sort of guys, you know, and uh, uh, so. In the early days, I could take a mark, I could kick a goal. I was playing, I was playing like in the full line and in the middle uh, as well, like a, as a ruck rover and so. And um, and all those different sides that I played with, um, uh, I was playing you know, ruck, ruck rover in the four line. Uh, and sometimes I used to go from centre half forward to centre half back to centre half back to centre half forward. Uh, sometimes so. I played a mixed bag, uh, and we had some great players all around me. We, we played those three different times at, at teams. But, um, but when I went to Hawthorne, one thing uh, I could do was put my head over the ball. I was uh, so-called a brave player, not because I was a good player, because that's all the way that I could get a kick is just you know do all those little one percenters. You know, put my head over the ball, smother the ball, get the ball run. My skill level wasn't that good. Um, uh, it didn't have to be that good at under 15. I sort of you know, dominated what what I had to do. But when I got to the seniors, when I went to Hawthorne, there was a lot of learning to do, that's for sure. And you mentioned um, playing, obviously, junior footy there. Was there an age or a moment in time where you realised you might have had a professional future in the game? Well, I'm not professional, but <laughs> back in those days, it wasn't professional it is today. Yeah. Um, Top level. Yeah, yeah, top level. I think at the time, the Hawthorne Footy Club and most footy clubs had uh, like uh, May holiday camps where you got invited. uh, Scouts would be going around the place looking at players and you'd be invited to go to Glenfrey Oval during the the May school holidays. And then um, you spend two weeks at the club where you train and 
and learn the basics and you know when then meet this some of the players when I first met like um, um, the Brian Dudes and Peter Knights and Lee Matthews or whatever um, you know coming through the coming through the change rooms and that and then you become sort of they get because back in those areas you, you, at times you, you were zoned to an area you weren't drafted like today. So they had eyes on, on, on many players, country players and, and uh, metropolitan players. Anyway, uh, after the two weeks, um, they have a game, uh, Metro versus uh, country, and I ended up getting best on ground. And uh, and then there was some, some, some talk around me, but, uh, you know, uh, the opportunity came when there was a knock on the, on the father's door. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life, thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934, Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Well, as Robert Dippier-Domenico just touched on, he's about to join Hawthorne. After this, we'll chart his path to the big time. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, great to have your company on This Is Your Sporting Life, made possible by Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. We're with Hawthorne icon, one of the game's great characters, Robert Dippier-Domenico. Well, Dipper, I think you were mentioning your schools earlier. At Swinburne Tech, your headmaster was a man by the name of John Kennedy Sr., who... Lo and behold, I think, would become your first senior coach. Yeah, right there, Sam. Uh, it was quite frightening because, uh, you know, at that time I was sort of like, oh, you know, that 14, 15, 16-year-old sort of kid who uh, <laughs> was 13, you know, just starting to come through. I thought it was a bit of a... Um, I, I wasn't a troublemaker, Sam, but because of my stutter and um, my hyperactiveness... <laughs> In, in the school class, I you know I was trying to sort of make jokes all the time because I wanted to be part of the gang. You know, mm. the time I the time I tried to joke, it took like half an hour, right? You know, but and then I used to get sort of you know the old days we used to get the chair in the corridor and used to sit out there and the principal <laughs> would walk down the you know the corridor and go, what are you doing here? Yeah, it's not me again. And used to go into 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 uh, the uh, the uh, principal's office and get the old strap, but. Yeah, John Kennedy was a uh, senior, and uh, we miss him dearly uh, already. But uh, he uh, he was a principal at the time, and at the same time I was going through Hawthorne, and I ended up at Glenfree Oval with a letter saying I welcome there, at, you know, at, at five o'clock, and, and and then I then John Kennedy walked out. And he goes, "What are you doing here? <laughs> I'm, I'm here, sir. Five laps, off you go. You know, <laughs> sort of." Um, it was interesting times, you know. It, it, it sort of like it felt like slow motion, but it went pretty quick. Well, he he couldn't give you detention, could he? Because he would have needed your training. That's exactly right. <laughs> That's exactly. I did. Uh, I was asked to leave Swinburne Tech, because I so I ended up going to Q High. <laughs> so uh, and then um, I was only sort of Swinburne for a couple of years there, but that was about fourteen, fifteen years of age. But uh, right. I hadn't met the man before I went to Hawthorne, that is for sure. And what was, oh, geez, Peter Knights you touched on before, Lee Matthews, Don yeah, Scott. I mean, so. they're big, big names in a change room for a teenager. Yeah. Can you imagine the first time you rock up? I'm 16, 16 and a half years of age. I get a letter from Hawthorne, you know, welcome to the Hawthorne Football Club. There was a bit of a story before they had to get in there. I rock up, 
and then there's another in, in 1975, and there's another two guys who rock up with me on the same day. And there's Rodney E. and Ian Payton. Okay, boys, how are you? And then Peter Crimmins was the captain of the team at the time. He come over, he introduced himself, and uh, and then you saw Michael Tuck and Lee Matthews, and uh, you know and Calvin Moore, and, and mm. you know, all these great Don Scott, of course, and all these great players come out of the change room, and there you are, and you got a school bo- a school bag in front of you with two other kids from Tasmania, <laughs> and you're told to get changed, and out you go. It's uh, that was a time when the young players had to really smarten up and become a young man very quickly. Yeah. Well, you mentioned 1975. You make your debut that year, round 18 against Fitzroy. But, geez, you must have had to learn the art of patience, Dipper, because you don't play another senior game in 76 or 77. And instead, you feature in around that era 99 reserves games flitting between the two levels. I, I mean, it's almost unheard of by today's day and age. That's a huge apprenticeship. <laughs> oh, today. Yeah, well, Sam, today is, is unheard of. Um, as you know, I've been involved with football for a long, long time. I was kick ambassador and been involved with the international rules for 20-odd years and, and played it. And mm. I know every every player these days, I know where their families and where they come from. And, um, you know, they, they're, they're young men straight away, straight, in, straight into the system. Where back in the day, it was, uh, it was, I mean, you know, even Michael Tuck played 50 reserve games, uh, you know, Chris Lampert's played over 50. Peter Swab was 100 reserve games. And most of my reserve games were because of the fact that you know, I started early at Hawthorne. And, and I got the first game. And, and the reason why I got the first game was Lee Matthews was cooked that day. Can you believe that? I replaced Lee Matthews on the 90th man and uh, against Fitzroy. And I remember coming on the ground and, and uh, getting my first kicks. And, um, you know, I was the front page of the age, Sam. You can imagine how big the age is, right? I remember that photo. And, uh, I've seen that photo. Yeah, yep. Yeah, well, well, Mike Sheen was a journo at the time. <laughs> and uh, and he did the story on me. And obviously, we become friends from that moment onwards. But it was sort of like, uh, it, 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 there was a lot of things that happened for me to get that game. But what they wanted to find out was, you know, because I, as I said to you before, what John Kennedy loved was the fact that, you know, I had... I could put my head over the ball and just wanted to give me an opportunity. So one minute I'm playing six, seven games under 19s because back in the day you had under 19s. Then you went to the reserves for a couple of games. And next thing I hear Lou Richards and, and, and the guys call out my name on, on the first game. It was amazing. So you end up turning well, it around, stuff, though. And, right, you and play... they stuffed that up, yeah. yeah and they you... stuffed, yeah, Jack and Lou and Bob, they stuffed up the name as well so you know <laughs> I'm sure you've heard a bit of everything when it comes to the surname but obviously you've become a regular by 1978 which we'll get to in a moment but what do you think turned it around and I think going forward a couple of years you credit do you not the late Alan Jeans for saving your career don't you I think by your own admission maybe not quite as disciplined or there might have been some poor fitness um, maybe some attitude oh. problems as well as a youngster oh, I've heard of everything Sam I mean can you imagine like, you know, when I walked in to Hawthorne, you know, I, yeah, I've got my own parents, of course, they're hard-working parents, whatever, but then you walk into Hawthorne and, and all of a sudden I'm there. I mean, who's to know I was going to be there for 18 years of my life, every day mm. of my life? And not only you have your own parents, but the discipline that I had to have from John Kennedy and David Parkin and Alan Jeans and even Alan Joyce at the time and, and the people around you and, 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 and being at Hawthorne, 
which is that family club of that that strong club. And from 1975 through to where I finished in '91, we you know, we dominated, absolutely dominated, from 70s, 80s, and uh, to the 90s. And of course, and, and then the club went through that 18 years of you know of, of nothing, and all, all of a sudden the 2000s, from 2008 onwards, Hawthorne dominate again. You know what I mean? Um, it was just a, an amazing time, an amazing time. But like everything, we all grow up and. We all grow up with the footy club and, and when you become part of the furniture and you think you're a little bit gooder than what you thought you were. And, uh, you know, and, and back in the day, uh, Sammy Boy, the, the nightclubs, the, the, the disco ball, disco was out and the bands. And, and during the week, you could go out and just watch a few bands like, you know, Cold Chisel and, and uh, Gerald Braithwell used to be in a band called Sherbet and, you know, and, uh, and all those great bands. And it was an exciting time, the 80s. You're young and, you got your license and you can go out and have a few drinks and no one would worry about it. And there were no phones around the area. And um, it was, uh, it was, it was kind of growing up, but around the footy club, you, you, you go up pretty quickly uh, and you got men like father figures, not just coaches, but father figures who want the best out of you, but you've got to stand up to them sometimes. And, you know, and, uh, and sometimes you get a clip across the ear. Just on clips across the year, it did come to a head with Yabby, didn't it? There's a famous, or maybe it's more infamous, uh, night at the social club on a Thursday night where it came to a head with the coach. Yeah, well, that was, that was, uh, that was interesting because I remember, because Alan Jeans came in, he was the first Hawthorne coach ever to come outside Hawthorne, right? Every other coach, there's two coaches who have never played for Hawthorne, was Alan Jeans and Alistair Clarkson. And they have become part of our you know, fabric at Hawthorne. But every other coach has been a Hawthorne person. That's a, what a unique stat, that one, I think. Mm. And John Kennedy Sr. asked uh, Alan Jeans to come in and around about 80, 81 or whatever. And, and at that time, I played in the 1978 Premiership, which I got best on ground on, right? Mm. Uh, and, you know, you're 18, 19, you've just won a Premiership, you've got best on ground, and, you know, you you know, it, you know the, the the world opens up to you. Well, the, the pub doors open up to you anyway. You know. <laughs> anyway, uh, I uh, I was around the place, and and then Gingy and I, you know, I thought, well, you know, you're new in the club, and I've been here since I was a sixteen. Don't come and tell me what to do. <laughs> As you know, sometimes when you're in uh, well, in all in in all positions of life, and I've learned a lot from this moment, you know, if you've got a new manager, a new CEO, a new uh, station manager, whatever it is, you know, they've got their own ways of doing things. And sometimes in the past that, that uh, you know, someone might like you and, and somebody you know, might like you, you know, you've got to go with the punches and, and, and respect those people's positions. When, when Gigi came in, I used to test him all the time. I used to be out at nightclubs all the time, whatever, and, and I was playing reserves football and senior football at the same time. And anyway, one night I, I played I played against Footscray um, the week before this night. And uh, it was Russell Green and myself were on the bench, and I played against Dougie Hawkins. And you know, when Dougie tell me up a little bit, and we played against each other sixteen times. Dougie and I were, were the best of friends. God, he could play, couldn't he? Eh? Oh yeah. Um, yeah, and um, I beat him once, and that was the bad idea. But it was a final. I'm happy about that. But anyway, I thought I played pretty well, and and I found out that I was going to get dropped. And then I, in in the Hawthorne trainers room, it was actually in the trainers room. We used to go in there because back in the day, it was all about raising money to go on a footy trip. 
And yep. the trainers wanted to come as well. So we used to buy raffle tickets and whatever. And people used to go in there, 60, 70 people on a, on a Thursday night, have a few beers. And and uh, and Johnny Ribeiro's, you know, Ribeiro's Fishery, um, you know, restaurants, uh, used to uh, feed us fish and all that sort of stuff. And we used to go in, buy some raffle tickets, respect the trainers and uh, and walk out. Well, I went in. I used to have a little bit of a scotch and coke and then have a piece of fish and, and, and used to walk out. Well, this time, I found out by one of the trainers I was going to get dropped. I thought, right, uh, this is it. So I said, God, give me a scotch and coke. And then another one and another one. I ended up drinking the bottle virtually. And I didn't realise that Alan Jeans was coming from match committee into, into there and be himself. And he, he looked at me and I looked at him. And, of course, Sam, I had a few wines and, and, then, and a few scotches. I go, what are, you, what, are you, what are you looking at me for, eh? Eh? All that sort of stuff. He said, uh, well, why don't we go and talk about this in the, in, in the coaches' room? And I was really, you know, I was really wild at, at the time. And So we're in the coaches' room, Sam, and I still remember. And don't forget, Alan James was a, a sergeant of police at the time. Mm. He shut the door behind me, and he gave me a beauty, absolute ripper. He threw me against the wall, threw me across the room, put his elbow in, into my, in, in, you know, underneath my throat, opened my legs up, you know, and said, how dare you? How dare you embarrass the footy club? And I just sort of broke down and cried. I'm going, what are you I just want to play football. I just want to play football. <laughs> yeah. But the thing about the great man was the fact that, <clears throat> you know, two hours later, I'm still talking to him about, uh, what you know, who am I and what I'm trying to achieve and, and he gave me some opportunities. He said, look, you're going to play in the reserves the next three or four weeks. And I did that. He goes, you show me that you want me to, that you want to stay here. At the same time, about 84, whatever, Carl um, Essendon and Melbourne were looking at me to to get traded over there. And uh, But Gene, he gave me the opportunity and went on to win a Brownlow and a couple more premierships with him. So, yeah, amazing. Uh, the rest is, the rest is I, history. Yeah, and I, yeah, I don't mind telling that story because, you know, it, it was the times, but you know, at that age, I, I you know, I, I was a little bit lost myself. But, but these guys like Parkin and Jeans and and and, uh, and Kenny, they're they're just father figure. They wanted you to succeed as a person, not just a footballer, but you know who we are. Yeah, it was just, it was amazing. You know, I still test him after that. Don't worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> but there was a, an agreement between the two of you. It seemed like, and as I said, the the rest was history, wasn't it? So if it was a crossroads well, moment, you went the right way. Yeah. Uh, and the agreement was he was going to test me about playing the reserves and what sort of um, you know, person I was. And, you know, I was going to pay my penance for mucking up. And then um, he come and, and for those four weeks, you know, he, he, he virtually ignored me, right? But the reserves and seniors should have trained together. And then, uh, on the, you know, and then when the time was up, he goes, right, you're back in the side. Shane Week. And that, was, and that was history. Mm. Fantastic, fantastic. You with this is your sporting life brought to you by Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. Visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Well, after this break, we'll go to Dipper's memories of that magical Brownlow medal win and his remarkable run of grand finals. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, Celebrating Lives. Hello 
we hope you're enjoying this week's edition of This Is Your Sporting Life. We're chatting with Brownlow medalist, Hall of Famer and five-time Premiership star, Robert Dippier Domenico. Well, Dipper, take us back to 1986. You play every game. It would be a Premiership year for the Hawks. You tally a career high, 571 disposals and 23 goals. But tell me this, when did you honestly think you were a chance to win the Brownlow medal? <laughs> Oh, right, I was 50 to 1 too. Wow, how good was that, eh? Actually, there's a great story about that because we were fortunate enough to uh, 86. Okay, so 83, 84, 85, 86, uh, we were going to play our, what, our fourth grand final. Mm. In 83, we won, of course, against Essendon. Uh, and Essendon Hawthorne, as you know, back in the 80s, we just loved playing against each other, but hated each other, you know? Really, it was just great football to play against these guys. We respect them as much as we love to beat them and vice versa. And uh, we beat them. We smashed them in 83. In 84, we had the opportunity with five goals up at three-quarter time. And, of course, they got up and beat us, you know. And that was one that got away from us. But 85, they destroyed us. Absolutely destroyed us. So, 86, uh, you know, it was another chance for us to play in the grand final. So, prior to a grand final week, is that you can you can train on the MCG, uh, yeah, just your mates, you know, just twenty blokes, twenty five blokes kicking the ball around the MCG. No one else there, and uh, there was the Monday afternoon of the Brownlow, and uh, we're doing our stuff. And then I heard Alan G go, Platten, Brereton, Dipper, Tucky, get over here. So we come over and there you go. Now listen, boys. Bloody important. Bloody important that you bloody keep out of the bloody media, all right? <laughs> I don't want to see your face. I don't want to hear your voice. I don't want to see you anywhere. Just lay low. We need to win this bloody grand final. You understand? We need everything, you know? <laughs> oh. So, um, so oh, I'm going, okay, no worries at all. No, I felt, how good is this? It's called me into sort of say, well, stay out of the media and that sort of stuff. You, you know, he, he knew how important it was. You know, I was part of the group. Anyway, who's to know that night I bloody go to the, <laughs> to the Brownlow medal. And I had a pretty good year. Uh, I thought I had a, a, a great year in 84. But 86, I had a really good year as well. And uh, I got there late because um, I lived in Baronia. By the time I got home, all that sort of stuff. And, and, uh, and some votes were up there. And I knew that... <laughs> I knew that... Uh, Paul Ruse and Williams played against each other in the in the last game. And Williams got reported, and Paul didn't have a good day or whatever. And uh, and we were locked on seventeen votes. And I remember Dougie Hawkins running around going, "No, you won! You won the Brownlow! You won the Brownlow!" Okay, no, Dougie sure he was pissed, of course, because we were drinking. He said, "Yes, he had a few, you know." Oh, mate, well, you can't believe it. Anyway, when they <laughs> When they said that, you know, the Brownlow medals, I could not believe it. But my my first thought was, Sam, keep out of the media, right? <laughs> Here I won Hawthorne's first Brownlow medal. It's going to Robert be difficult. Medico, Robert Giffey of the Medico wins Hawthorne's first Brownlow medal. <laughs> you know, I, I congratulate Greg Williams. He can't believe that he's sharing it with me. And, <laughs> and then uh, I get up on stage and people land with it was interviewing me and I looked down and Alan Jesus got his face in his hands 
like going, oh, what the hell has happened here? You know, <laughs> and you and you you made a good so you, you yeah. made a good pair with with Diesel though, Dipper, because obviously you had your media band. You were almost hiding on stage. I, I don't think Diesel he barely smiled. So you made a fair duo up on the stage. <laughs> No, he didn't smile. He was, I think he was pissed off sharing with me. He said, what the hell have I got? You know, what? <laughs> but then again, we become great friends, of course, and uh, we played state football with each other and that, and uh, against each other. He, he went on to win another one. But uh, I suppose it, it changed the Brownlow in a way too because uh, the type of players that we were were hard players as well as, you know, you know pretty good players at the time. And but I, all I remember was Jeansy put his hand in the face thinking, of the week of the of the, of the uh, grand final, Dipper's won the Brello medal, uh, Hawthorne's first ever at the time. I went training the next morning, or next afternoon, and uh, there were 10,000 people at the, if, if not more, at Grand Final to watch us train, like we'd always did on grand final week. And I remember Jeansy and all my mates are going, oh, I can't believe it, well done. I remember Jeansy getting us all in and just saying, now, listen, congratulations. Congratulations, Robert. What you have done to this Hawthorne Football Club is absolutely fantastic. Now you've got the responsibilities of being a Brownline medalist. Make sure you understand what those responsibilities are. But now we've got a job to do. You know, all that sort of stuff. And it was, yeah. it was just a moment in my life. It was just unbelievable. But I didn't go to Brownline for another four, five, six, seven years. I was... I wasn't embarrassed, but I was sort of like, you know, like, yeah, I didn't feel as though I was part of the class. And but now I love it. I, I love it, and um, and I I get around the Brownline Millers and you know try and help out the uh, you know, the older guys. And and uh, you know, it's a, a very unique club, Sam. Yeah. Uh, what a club to be involved in. And I think on the night, obviously, you were getting set for Carlton that Saturday, who you, you took mm. care of in the end um, quite easily to win the 86 Premiership. But John Elliott was the president, of course. On the night, didn't he cheekily offer you a few beers, coax you into a couple of drinks <laughs> to celebrate? Yeah. As we rocked out, because Fosters was part of the, the crew, and uh, and uh, he, he gave me a can. I'm going, no, no, no thanks, you know. Because <laughs> what happened back in the days is, is that you sit, you know, your Hawthorne teammates got two or three tables and then there's a opposition side that you're playing against is virtually across the road from you. And um, and uh, uh, and back in the day, it wasn't like the, all the players know each other like these days because these guys come through draft systems together and they've either been in the same draft system and, you know, been separated where we were all, you know, suburban, local, in, uh, interstate guys. And there was a bit of a, um, a line between sides back in the day until you went to a pub or, or something like that, you know what I mean? But when it was played mm. football, it was it was, you know, it was really just hard days. A lot of people say today, Sam, you know, when when there's a hard fought game or someone gets absolutely thrashed or whatever, as soon as the siren goes, the players go to opposition players, shake hands and have a bit of a laugh and whatever. And and and, and and supporters sometimes can't understand why would they be laughing if they got smashed the way they did. Well, a lot of these guys sort of played football since they were 13, 14 together, you know what I mean? And they mm. know each other, you know. So, mm. uh, But uh, back in the day, it was a handshake and, uh, and, and you moved on. Hey, Dipper, the, the flip side, the, I've got to ask you, 86, you've got a lot of umpire love, of course, as you need to, to get to win the Brownlow. But um, the flip side of that was you didn't exactly need directions to the uh, VFL tribunal, did you? I mean, you were there a bit. <laughs> yeah, only because of circumstances. 
you know. <laughs> I, I, uh, yeah, well, back in the day, I saw you, but but I, I go back to every time I've been reported, hmm. not once did I ever go out and go, right, I'm going to get this guy, whatever, that, that, that. It happened to be the balls always between me and my opponent. And uh, a couple of times I've got five weeks, you know. Oh, the only one really I wanted to get, <laughs> not wanted to get, but I told him I was going to get him anyway, was uh, was hockey on uh, on 89 Grand Final because he kept having a go at me and because I was a bit crook in the time. And there's some great slow motion where oh. he's got my head, he's got my head, he's punching my head in slow motion when I've got two guys. Andrew Buse and um, um, Brunsey in a in a, in headlock, right? So it was like a triangle. And I anyway, I saw him on the boundary and I gave him one. And um, yeah, so that was the only time. But you know, when you went to a tribunal, it wasn't as easy as people think because you have to remember what was going on. And then you you uh, you weren't allowed to talk until your your man says to you, uh, the advocate said, you know. Where were you here? Or the umpires had to remember where they were, which way the wind was blowing, which way was the goal was going. It was quite frightening, actually, you know? Yeah. You raise 89. Obviously, that's a decider that endures perhaps more than any other in the history of the game. And obviously, the last grand final under the VFL moniker. And yet, you smashed Buddha Hawking that day, uh, split him open while I think you were shepherding for James Morrissey at the time. And and you might have given it then, but you'd copped it, uh, none more so than in this game, obviously, when... Gary Ablett cannoned into you in the first quarter and when you dropped into the space in front of him and you had your ribs busted and your lung punctured for good measure. Yeah, I, I did actually drop into the area. There's three words you don't want to hear on grand final day, right? Now, grand final for any player is the, the pinnacle. We were lucky enough. Well, that was my seventh grand final in a row. Amazing. In a row. It was my eighth overall. And even though you want to, even though you want to play in the grand final, they're there to win. They're not there to lose. And the ones that we've lost hurt more than the you know every day. But in '85 when we got uh, in '86 uh, we won, '87 we lost, in '88 we won. But no Hawthorne side's ever done back to back before. And even though we got to grand finals, we still had to prove ourselves that we were a good team. You know. Uh, so 89 was really important to us. And, of course, Alan, Alan James came back in 89 because in 88 he had a brain hemorrhage. Mm. And Alan George took over and won a premiership on 96 points. It was a new voice for us and it was something different. And, and typical Hawthorne, Alan uh, was our uh, uh, footy manager at the time and he had coached over in uh, Fremantle. And the club said, well, you're coaching while Alan James in hospital. So it's, it's interesting, isn't it? You know? yeah. um, and then Alan James came back and... And for all of us, it was great to have him back. But 89 for us was a, you know, it was a measure of, of everything. You know, could this, could this club play his first ever back-to-back? Um, and so the, the three words you don't want to hear, my friend, are, are these. It's yours, Zipper. <laughs> <laughs> Who said that? Oh, I, I, you know, you're just your teammate. Zipper, it's yours. Yeah. It's yours, Zipper. You know, and when your teammate calls you in, Sam, you go. Exactly. You can't exactly. Look but, but speaking of looking right. dipper, looking looking back, do you think I was completely mad to to play on? Because I feel like I'm saying this a bit, but it just wouldn't happen these days. It wouldn't happen these days. But then again, they wouldn't know because I didn't tell anyone I was crook anyway. Mm. So and, and would I do you, it again? Bloody hope I would, because you know, grand finals. You're not 
you know. Um, it doesn't matter what type of grand final you play, if it's basketball, cr- cricket, soccer, whatever, you just want to be involved, you know. You're, you've been chosen to wear that jumper for that day for your club, right? And that was what we were all about, to play in grand finals, and we were there to win it. Mm. And uh, so, you know, unfortunately for Johnny Platton got knocked out. He doesn't even remember the game, you know. And, then, and of course, Dermot, what happened to him in the first seconds of the game, and, and, and typical Dermot, just that Irish background of his, just stood up and just said, well, the more you hit me, the more I'm going to play, you know, stand up in front of you. And he went back and back into a pack himself and took a mark and kicked the goal. It was quite... Yeah, everything was moving really quickly, and we knew that Geelong. Well, at the time, we knew Geelong were were really want to be physical on us, you know, which I suppose didn't work for them in the, in the first quarter because we went away and kicked three or four quick goals, you know. But um, uh, yeah, would I do it again? Oh yeah, I'll do it again. Every time I have the MCG and and uh, people ask me about it, well, there's been many highlights on the MCG. You can ask every player. Every person on the MCG, the highlight is to play there. The highlight is to is to win there. But the highlight is is also just to give your best. And uh, yeah, fortunate enough, I, I had enough to give my best just to the last breath. Oh, it, it, and it was, wasn't it? Because you make it to the final siren before you you take it to the casualty ward up the road at St Vincent's Hospital, and eventually into intensive care. And I think you ended up spending eight days in hospital. I mean, you were a seriously unwell man. Well, at the time, I didn't really know, except for the fact that uh, um, I knew that I broke my ribs in the early, early. but when my body was imploding, um, and my voice was going really high like this, <laughs> I was running around the MCs going, hey, kick it to me, kick it to me. Yeah, well, you got helium. <laughs> and, uh, and the players are going, Tim, are you all right? Yeah, I'm all right. What's wrong with you? you know? <laughs> um, I mean, I laugh about it now, but. There's no way no I was coming off that ground. I, 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 no way no. And I remember Gene having a go at me three-quarter time. He said, the brunt is starting to get on bloody top of your son. Can you bloody last again? You know? And, 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 truth, and truth to my word, and German has said it on, on Foxtel just recently, Alan Gene said, there's no one I bloody know who died playing this game. <laughs> Jeez. Tempting fate. <laughs> so he had a go at me. I remember waking up in the hospital three or four days later and, and Alan Jeans and the boys came in and he said to me, son, I am so sorry what I said to you. <laughs> you know, uh, it was, it was, look, uh, yeah, you look back at it and you don't do it to become a hero. You don't do it. All you want to do is play footy. It's all you wanted to do and win the game. And I remember going, going uh, to the other side of the ground when the ball was thrown in and I ended up being on top of it. And when the siren goes, I remember Michael Tuck picking me up off the ground and it was the closest person. And he had a split web in himself. Like his blood was pouring out of his hands and all that sort of stuff. And he goes, we won, we won. And he virtually had squeezed the last bit of breath. And EJ Witt, the great EJ coming out. And I've known EJ a long, long time and played state football with him. And, you know, he, shaked you, he shook your hand. Uh, Sam, he's just crushed it, you know. When yeah. he saw me, you know, God, you won, you won, you won. He goes, Oh my God, he's not well, you know. And they got me off, off to the hospital, and uh, you know, I was very fortunate enough to, uh, well, survive, I suppose. Yeah, scary times. And I wanted, I really wanted to ask you this, uh, Dipper. Obviously, 
eight grand finals, seven of them in a row. You're as, as well or as better qualified than almost anyone to answer this. In our game, when there's just one game, one day, one chance to win the premiership, what is the key to performing well? Well, that's a really good question. I'll, I'll, I'll push on you. Mm. Uh, if I say, look, it's just a normal game. Well, well it is a, a game, right? But just the, the pressures prior to, you know, when you've got those, you know, when, when the belly's turning over, you know, the butterflies and all the nervous energy that you have and whatever, as time went on, we got used to that. And, and I suppose that just to be in control of what you can do on the grand final, um, I've always thought that if you got early, if you got involved in the game really early, then the day, you know, pans out for you because you've got a touch of the ball, you've you've had a smack and kiss across the head, you've had a tackle, you're involved in the game, and and all that energy then goes in, into playing football, not running around like you know, like you see some players just just you know, a bit lost there for a little while. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's uh, it's yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. We're talking to the great Robert Dippier Domenico on This Is Your Sporting Life. Thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. We'll be back shortly with Dipper, who certainly didn't disappear from view when he hung up the boots. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. It's been great to have your company here on This Is Your Sporting Life, thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. AFL icon Robert Dippier Domenico is our guest today. Well, Dipper, life after football is something that understandably stresses players. You didn't appear, though, to struggle with moving on from the game. Is that a fair comment? Well, Sam, I'm like every other player thinking, what the hell am I going to do? Uh Tiger different this, Sam, because uh, I was working, uh, well, everyone was working. Michael Tuck was a plumber. He used to dig holes during the day and then run 400, kilometer, 400 uh, metres in Olympic time. He was an absolute freak. But everyone had a job. And, and right about the mid-80s, professionalism started to come into football, uh, where dietitians came in, you know. We were eating steak and chips and pasta on a Thursday night and fish and chips and whatever on a Friday night. And then... You know, the dietitians like Karen Inns came to our club uh, and, and and we went from that type of food to bananas and muffins and that, you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. It was it was times of change. But I remember I was uh, I was a tie fitter first when the club first got me my job at 17 years of age. I was a tie fitter. I, I, I really loved that because I know how to change ties and, and, and I'm, I'm, full, I'm a sucker. When I see someone... With a tie change, I just go in and take over, like because I know what to do, you know. Um, and um, and then I went into the printing game, and and um, you know, then I was just starting to find the feet around the place. Well, I decided around about eighty six, uh, eighty five, eighty six, I decided to go uh, well professional. The money wasn't big at the time, um, but I thought I could make a living out of this game you know, through some other stuff that I was doing, and. Um, yeah, and you know, throughout my career, I had an opportunity to be on TV a few times, and and then the doors opened up for me at the uh, uh, at the end of my career. Um, I remember Channel Nine coming to me and saying, that "We've got a brand new show called uh, 
uh, or my manager at the time, Danny Finley, he said, look, Sharon and I have got a brand new show called The Footy Show. They want you to be involved. And then he came up and said, look, Channel 7 also want you to be a boundary writer, someone who can bring the game into the, into the homes of people. Mm. Um, I thought, well, that sounds like fun, you know. Um, and so I decided to go with the boundary writing, <laughs> which is like, oh, my God. I remember the first night. There was no training. I, I thought you'd get training, you know. I thought like footballers, like anything, you, you, know, you, you get taught how to use the microphone. And, cause just thrown in. You just, yeah, when you're a footballer, you, you get, yeah, you get, you know, questioned by, by commentators or whatever, and you just answer the questions. But when you're doing the other side, like you are right now, you've got to think about what they say, <laughs> what they're doing, who they are. <laughs> but back in those days, Sam, there was no like today, you know, the ins and the outs of every player's family. Back in those days, everything was a secret, right? Yeah. So here I am, here I am, you know, Dipper, first time on, on the boundary, um, you know, half the blokes I'm, I'm, I'm commentating, I've, I've, you know, I've played against or whatever, knocking on, on, on secret doors downstairs, trying to get into the rooms and trying to get stuff piss off and, you know, go and listen to what the coaches to say a quarter time. And I remember Dennis Pagan used to have three, uh, three bodyguards around around their players, and I come in close, and they sorry, Jeff, you can't come any closer. So I go, well, hang on, I've got a job to do. You got a job to do, and then I said, uh, it was it was so much fun. And then I thought, you know what, I'm just going to be myself. I don't give a shit what they say. <laughs> I'll just make it up. And, yeah. You know, it was it was raining. I'm not going to get wet. <laughs> I'll go to the bar. I'll, I'll, I'll commentate from the bar, like you know. Well. And I then, hope they I, I hope they retired that rain jacket, Dipper, because that was a permanent fixture as well. The Channel Seven rain jacket. Yeah, no, no, I've got I've i got it in my wardrobe now. I've actually worn it a couple of times now because uh, BJ Whitten games. I've been asked to do the boundary back then. It was yeah. so much fun to wear it again. <laughs> but um, uh, look, Sam, I should do three games a weekend. Friday nights at the MCG. Saturdays I'll either be in Sydney or Brisbane, or Brisbane or Sydney on a Sunday, right? And I did that for nearly 13 years. I do 87 games a year. Right? And, and then I had a, a show called Game Day, which yep. is before the, 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 the game on a Sunday. I, we had to make up crap all the time. You know? <laughs> and and the, buildings were, the buildings were getting built uh, uh, at the Gabba and the MCG was getting uh, new, uh, new stands. And I, I, was, uh, I was up cranes in, in buckets. I was... I was yeah, the first person to have a beer uh, at, uh, at Eddie had there. I was the first person to, yeah, uh, just an amazing time. It was an amazing time. It was well, fun. Dipper, jeez, oh, you've had a cameo on Neighbours. You played Bruce the Hitchhiker on The Flying Doctors. I mean, you've had roles on Channel 9 show Excess Baggage. You hosted your own show last year, didn't you? Dipper's, Dipper's Backyard yeah, Barbecue no, Wars. Yeah, I've got Dipper's Backyard Barbecue Wars at the moment, which is a second series that's finished. And I've got Dipper's Destinations, which is a travel show, which I've just finished filming and, and just been on air, which has been quite successful. And unfortunately, because of the travel now, we're, we're uh, sort of just hung in there for a little while. But, mm. yeah, no, I, you know, I've, I've had an opportunity to do a lot of things, but it's all off the cuff. It's all like, here's a microphone and off you go. And, and you just make your own way, you know, and... Fortunately enough, um, you know, the front bar keep bringing it up for me, which is lovely for the boys, and uh, they have a lot of fun with it, and, you know. And somehow, yeah. somehow, Dipper, between all that, you, you found ta- time to get a bit of a cult following, I think it's fair to say, with the Dimmies and Forges ads. 
well, there's another opportunity for you. That, uh, I remember uh, the guy ringing me up and um, <laughs> said, oh, we got Lou Richards to do a commercial. Want you to do one as well, and we did it. And and they said, can you come up with a with, a, with an ending? I'm going, yeah, nine ninety nine. Be there, you know. <laughs> Give me some forges. Be there. Well, that become a, an icon, didn't it? Really. And uh, everywhere I go these days, you know, the kids know me as, uh, hey, aren't you? Um, aren't you? And I'm thinking, oh, Brownlow Miller's Hall of Famer. Aren't you? Uh, be there. Be there. <laughs> yeah. And then I did Ice Kick for about uh, 13 years, you know, trying to get the, the program around Australia, which we did. And yep. a lot of the players now who are playing have come through that Ice Kick uh, program. But, uh, look, I've been very blessed to be uh, you know, thrown into situations. And, um, um, you know, I've been fortunate enough to think on the feet. And, uh, and sometimes I just say it as I say it. And sometimes I can't say it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's no doubt we need another run of the Dimmies and Forges ads. Uh, so if that opportunity arises, Dipper, grab it with both hands. It's been a real pleasure to talk to you today. Obviously, you patrolled the wings with that eye-catching blend of flair and toughness, and it became folklore at Glenferry Oval. You are, without doubt, one of football's great characters and certainly among its most fierce competitors. Uh, your resume is incredible. You've certainly given plenty back to the game as well in the years since retirement. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks, Sam. And I know the Tobin family, Michael Tobin. And uh, so Michael, good job there supporting everybody. But uh, no, 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 thanks for the uh, for the chat. It's always nice to be able to have a bit of a chat um, oh, and talk footy. Yeah, yeah, no doubt about it, Dipper. Thanks so much once again. And thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for joining us also. You've been listening, of course, to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Just jump online to find tobinbrothers.com.au. We'll catch you next week to celebrate the life of another sporting icon. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply.